Hi everyone. I have a special guest today. Her name is Salma. They asway. They asway. Welcome, Sal. I'm so happy you're joining. How are you? Thank you for having me. This is an honor. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, yes, my name is Sal. People at home, everybody calls me Salma, but on campus I'm known as Sal. I am a film production major here at Lynn. I'm looking forward to all these questions. Yay! Um, so backstory. Um, I know Sal through a group of friends that we have in common, but recently what happened was Sal was like, Hey Nadia, I think you would be a great fit for this short film. You want to um, you wanna join us? And um, I was participating in an audition and Sal was like, Okay, maybe you're a good fit. Let's try this. And so I was never an actress in my life before. But Sal was like, okay, you can go through this Sal school. <laughs> and tell me, did I pass it or no? No, I will never hire you ever again. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because we're friends. So it was really it was really hard for you to kind of get used to the way that I work. Mm -hmm. um, but it's cool. You never, you never acted before. So the frustrations that I had on set were meant for real actors. But it's been a... <coughs> I was just choking on my water that you gave me. <laughs> no, drink more. <laughs> don't choke, please. I don't want you to die right now. Um, and the film that I worked on before, it was with an actual actress. So I was on the zone of working with professional people and stuff. So it definitely, I definitely had to do some getting used to in terms of working with people who have never acted before. Yeah, for sure. It was something new for me. And how is it different? For you to be a producer versus a director? So producing and directing, they're two pretty different things. Um, I would rather be a director than a producer, but I have heard that I'm good at producing. Yeah. So first and foremost, the difference between directing and producing, a director is in charge of moving and maneuvering the story any way that they would like. They are the people who are entrusted with the power to take the vision of what the script says and put it into reality. They communicate with the director of photography, with the set crew. They are in charge of, you know, directing the story into the way that would best be told. You know, staying true to the script is their job. As a producer... The producers are the most powerful people on set. And people think that it's the director, but it's actually the producer. Producer can fire a director and hire a new director. Um, the producer is the one who, like in the name says, produces results. They make things happen. So if you need a permit for something, they'll go and get it. If you need um, this certain actor, they'll get it. You know, director doesn't usually um, talk, to, talk to actors until they get to set. You know, um, but producers are the ones that make things happen, and they're the legal liaisons between the big people and the people on set who are making the movie. So they communicate between them, and they're the eyes and ears of the big business. So, um, when you were saying you're connecting basically the big people people with the small ones, or just the, basically um, all the staff members or all, all the actors, um, it reminded me of what happened in the morning today when you were walking in the cab, getting breakfast, and you were just talking to everyone, stopping by everyone, and you're like, yeah, walking with me means talking to everyone, and it's just like a feeling that you are a people's person, and then I remembered this t-shirt you had on set like I, I'm not a people like what did it say don't people me right now right it said I'm done peopling oh I'm done peopling <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's actually super true whenever you walk with me anywhere on campus I pretty much know 70% of the people on this campus and they know who I am whether it's a good rapport or bad rapport <laughs> they know who I am I make my presence known no it's not only about known you know it's really you are regardless of what they do you kind of t approach them and you're really friendly but also yourself I don't know you're you're very yourself with everyone mm -hmm. <laughs> you're I'm welcome not, I'm not I'm <laughs> not fake at all 
I'm not fake at all. You'll get me 100% of the time. Even on set, the person I am, I mean, that's the only difference, maybe. My boyfriend will say that he doesn't know the person that is on set because they've never mm. met before. <laughs> yeah. Sal on set and Sal in the real world, you they, you know, they're two completely <laughs> different people. Well, I am I am horrible on set. Let me describe you on set. What I saw you and who I saw you as. So, um you were making bed or you were just decorating um the room and you were smiling as if like the world is different or like <laughs> you made this clock or the clock like right in the middle of the mirror and that was just like the 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 coolest thing for you were like oh my god the <laughs> clock is right in the middle of the mirror and um so the smallest things on set make you the happiest because really uh you were not thinking about the result that moment you were like oh my god i just want this to happen it's just a small thing but i want it to happen and you made it and you're like yo this is so cool uh the stand that we were putting away lights and the light kit that we have is an ari light kit that has um four to three tungsten lights in it and they get pretty hot so you have to always wear gloves and stuff like that and be careful with the equipment also the stands that go along with them they're black and they say ari on the side and the way that you unscrew them and put them up is kind of difficult so there's screws on the left side of them or right side depending on how you hold it but they're all on one side and once those screws you have to loosen them to move the the neck up and down if you screw it some people everyone puts up equipment differently but i do it correctly so <laughs> the way that you're supposed to do it is you're not supposed to screw it all the way out because it's not just a screw that's in there it's a washer what a washer is is a flat disc that looks like a donut mm -hmm. with nothing inside mm -hmm. it's literally just a flat circle and what it is it separates the screw from the actual neck mm -hmm. so it, it it causes less damage and stuff like that but if you screw it all the way out you could lose that one piece and there are a lot of necks in that in that kit in that kit that don't have that washer because people take them out you know differently but I was teaching him the correct way so, to screw it. Yeah, let me. So, yeah, thank you for explaining the technical part of that because obviously that equipment is not in my knowledge. I didn't know even. But the part that I really saw and noticed that how you communicated to him, hey, this is not how you should do it because. So I clearly remember you were like, I don't want you to die. This is very dangerous. So let's do it the opposite way. Let's do it like less of like. You don't screw it out completely. And so just how you communicated to him, it's not his fault or like you're not just blaming him, but you're like you're you want to make sure that he's safe. That's how you communicate it. That's that's a sal on set. That's sal on set. I'm like, yo, that's just yeah, incredible, incredible. I really, really loved that moment. Like you were really I care about my team and I care about my people and I care about our film. I think that's why at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a professor above all. She says that I'm a good producer because everything you just described is the job of a producer. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to protect the people who are under them. Not necessarily the director and the crew are under them, but in the hierarchy, you know, they're the people in the front ends, yeah, you know. Exactly. So the producer is supposed to protect them from things like this. And something else was um, a short story how we saw um, a, a YouTube video that was about an actor that said, hey, oh, so he was asked, what is the difference between a female and a male director? And the actor was like, well, it, the, film, the female directors get everything done. And that's where you were like, yes, that's why I am a director. That's why I want to be a director. I want things to get done. And mm -hmm. it's just so what is your take on like female and male directors? When I'm on set, I like for people to call me sir. <laughs> yeah. I really do. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I really do. Why? Because you would you would never think that a woman could command the way that I command. <laughs> so just because you're not prepared to call someone ma'am who is in power, call me sir. <laughs> because I'm in power and I'm going to command. Mm, 
I just don't like the idea of like I want a female to be in the power and to be associated with the power but instead you're using sir like saying okay it's easier if it's easier for you to associate me with sir to make sure that hey yes I'm in power then do sir that's mm -hmm. what you're saying but I really would want it to be still ma'am and still powerful you know why can't and, it be I both? mean and on the same token though I'm using I'm using it as kind of like an oxymoron so I want you to call me sir because I'm in power but I'm a woman mm -hmm. and I want you when you think of Sal you need to call me sir but you're going to remember that I am a woman. Mm. When you think of Sal, you know that she's a woman. Look at that. She's not like any other woman. That, that's philosophy. <laughs> yes. Also, a less philosophical explanation. I'm barely a woman. You know, I'm not, I'm not feminine. I'm not that feminine anyway. Unless, unless I fit a clock to perfectly fit in a circle mirror. <laughs> yes. Like how we were doing on set, bro. <laughs> The reason why I get so excited about the little things on set is because when we're filming, it's not we're filming the whole movie in one try. It's scene per day or like a couple scenes in a couple like like each day. Yeah. So during that day, my focus is this scene. Okay? What can I do to make this scene fit like the the mood it's supposed to, you know? Also, even though things are supposed to be realistic, on camera, these coincidences look really nice. So we have a circle mirror and we have a circle clock that are right in front of each other mm -hmm. on opposite walls. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, wouldn't it be nice if you could see the clock in that mirror? Because the camera is next to the clock, so you can't see that clock. Mm -hmm. But what if you could? You know? People don't see this side of the wall because the camera's here. They see out there. But what if you could? What are the, the odds, clock? right? What you are know? the odds? A lot of these coincidences, that's, it's so, it's so, ooh, so nice. Okay, let me read, um, I have 22 notes to myself after shooting in a film for the person. I want to read them mm -hmm. out to you and I want you to kind of elaborate, elaborate or give her your opinion or feedback. Cool. So, first, colors are everything. Second. Colors take. Hold on, let's do one by one. Oh, you want it one by one? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, I wanted like I actually wanted it to go like straight, and like I wanted to ask you what stood out the most to you, or like what is the first thing that comes to you. Let's do that. Can we? Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Colors are everything. Colors take hours. Every movement counts. Stop laughing when they call you actress instead of your name. Make sure you do only your job. And 80% of the actor's job is to wait. The process is actually 100 times more fun. The production is a whole new movie. Dolly is a special equipment and not a girl's name. C47 is a clothespin. Lumen measures light. Film language is so damn cool. Think twice before using the Dutch angle. Don't underestimate the shitty rigs. <laughs> You're laughing right now. <laughs> um, oh, say that last one again. Don't underestimate the shitty rigs. There is a person that keeps track of the continuity. Continuity never leaves you alone. The power of teamwork is a superpower. Chain the script on the go just like Money Heast on Netflix. Some people are the funniest because they hear things that normally people never hear. Room tone is a movement. Room tone is a moment to connect with the team on a level nobody can ever hear, not even the sound people. It took us two weeks to shoot a five-minute film, five film, and that's very fast. If there is a next time, then don't wear a white shirt for shooting. <laughs> that last one would definitely be something that would stand out to the director of photography. <laughs> you know? um, for that one, it's because you want the actress to be the brightest thing and the most important thing in the screen, and white just distracts you exactly. um out of everything that you said though they were all pretty fucking funny man <laughs> they were all funny Aww. you know if we have the time to talk about all of them i would love to but the one that stood out to me the most was definitely the teamwork one yeah you know also the one about taking two weeks to film a five minute movie right that oh is God. definitely not enough time that is not enough time ideally it would like six weeks you would want 
Yes. Yeah. Six weeks. Oh, yeah. One week per minute, <laughs> preferably. <laughs> nice. You know. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just thought of it just now. It's usually not separated that way, but yeah. it doesn't matter how long um, the end result is. You never, like, if you hear people say, it took me four weeks to film a four-minute movie, it doesn't make sense, you know, mm, because... It doesn't, it's not it doesn't tied. Make, it's not, like, really connected, right? Yes, they're not really connected because you can shoot whatever you want. It can, it can take you... It could take you six months to film a five-minute movie. Yeah. Because if you're filming a movie about the different phases of the moon, that's not going to take you two weeks. You know? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how long it takes you to gather footage because that doesn't affect how long a film is. How long the film is has nothing to do with the production process. That's, that's an option. Mm-hmm. However long it is, that's an option. You know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but we definitely wanted to film more, and be- it was just the the concept we would have liked to film more. But I thought that it was going to be an easy script for the time frame, but I I was wrong. No, to be honest, it was pretty um, a pretty easy script because only one actress, like basically one location. Um, and you made that choice because obviously you have the time constraint and you don't want to use too many. That was the most realistic script for the circumstances, I think. Mm -hmm. But then what you're saying is that, hey, um, it's still complicated. Can you tell me why? Can you um, share? So it, it still was complicated because, first of all, you didn't have enough time to read through the script and really get into character, Yeah, you know. With this new block scheduling, it's so difficult to get things done because we have four weeks. And in this class, I'm not even in this class, but I was helping out, you know, JV and Chris. But in this class, we have four weeks. The first week is supposed to be pre-production. We're supposed to um, choose the location, choose the actress, rehearse, you know. Um, And then production is supposed to be two weeks. We rehearsed while we were on set. And that usually never happens. Mm. You're supposed to rehearse before production even starts, you know, because when you get to production, you want to, you want, you don't want to waste time. The, my biggest thing was time constraints and making sure everyone is always doing something. That's why, you know, our grip, the guy who was in charge of lights, that's why he pissed me off. Because if I can do it faster and better than you, I'm going to do, do it need, myself. Exactly. Why do I need you if I can do it faster? Why do I need you on set? Exactly. The I people need. on set, if you don't have a role, if you're taking out my oxygen and wasting my space, yeah. you need to go. As someone said, time is the most valuable currency. And I think that in film production, that's even more accurate or more relevant. Oh, definitely. Um, so I want to actually um, switch the topic a little bit because I know you... As someone who is also interested in social impact, and my podcast is actually about social impact and like creating that space and time in the world. And I know you as a person that um, kind of your mission is not only to create films, but also feature something that is that is so important in the world that you don't want to leave out, right? Can you explain, can you like tell us a little more about that vision and basically your, maybe some of your films that you already have or your ideas in the future kind of connected to social impact? I'm a film major, but I have been in the social impact space for a really long time. You know, Wayne and James are my best friends. And shout out to Wayne and James. (laughs) Shout out to Wayne and James. (laughs) They're my best friends in the Watson Institute. I talk to them about everything. They know everything about me. I know everything about them. Well, at least I like to think so. Um, You know, as much as I can know in three years, that's how much I know. Um, But we've been friends since our freshman year, and we actually did Map the System our first year. (gasps) What is Map the System for you? (laughs) <laughs> Map the System is a competition where um, people, it's a research competition, research-based competition, where you choose a topic that matters to you and you literally map out the system of the issue that you chose pertaining to a specific location. And the topic that we chose was street children 
um, in Dominican Republic. And we chose Dominican Republic because it's easy to travel there. Like, you know, it's right there mm-hmm. and it's in range. Mm-hmm. And they have a really big street child population. And it's it's one of those things that really touched each one of our hearts. James has been in that space, not only social impact space, but, you know, taking care of street children with his foundation and everything. He really is making moves. And Wayne was the one who helped us make our report on time. If it wasn't for him, like, on our asses, you know, <laughs> all those countless nights of sleeping in the UC, yo, that guy can write. You know, we really did pressure him, and he deserves the world. Also, Isaac, he was part of our team, and he was, he was part of the reason why we went to Oxford in the first place. You know, all of our stories... All of our stories are really intense about how we were connected to this whole issue. So another um, shout out to Isaac, and I'm interviewing him soon. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> so shout out to Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, all all of us were connected in that, you know. And um, what's it called? But that happened my senior year, and that the competition literally did. What do you bring mean your senior together. year? I mean my freshman year. <gasps> yeah, and um, that competition really did bring us closer together. Um, but so yeah, the, tell the me whole about reason the, why yeah the issue the um, kind of yeah the so research the reason why I was so closely attached to the story of two children was because I have been in that space of being homeless and being lost as a kid when I was younger I was I was born and raised in Hollywood Florida um, I was born in Hollywood, Florida, but I was raised all over South Florida. When I was younger, I mean, to this day, my mother is um, an immigrant from Mexico, and so is my father. But my father is not in the picture. So I grew up a lot with my mother, and she is a Mexican immigrant. She's illegal in this country. So there's only so much that a woman who is 23 years old with four kids can do. By the time that she was 23, she had all her four kids. Yeah, and she was single because my father left her. And she had to raise four kids on her own with no papers. So to this day, she doesn't have her identification. Superhero. Snaps to her. Oh, my God. And to this day, it's really hard for me to, like, I go through this, you know, Kia verification process and to verify that my mother and my stepfather are married, like, because... She's illegal in this country, and every time, every time I have to go through the legal process going back to school, I get a reminder that your mother is not legal. So we have to clarify that to the government so that you can get help. You know, um, but growing up, because there's only so much that she could do, my mother had to turn to, you know, desperate measures to do things. She, um, you know, would sell weed. From our house, that's how we made our money. That's how we made our income, and she had to do a lot of under the table work. She worked at a laundromat for a really long time. She used to clean houses. Mm-hmm. Um, she used to work in landscaping, you know. And I had to learn to grow up really quickly. Um, I learned how to change diapers when I was like six years old, you know. Um, even like younger than that, but but yeah. And um, growing up, I lived in. Almost every city in South Florida, I've lived there. I lived in the richest places, the the poorest places. I've been, you know, middle class my whole life. But I've been bouncing back from my mom's house to my dad's house, and I've spent most of my time with my mother. And it's really hard to... I think that's why I'm so mature now. It's because I didn't have a childhood. I had to learn how to grow up really fast. And um, I've been that mother figure for my for my siblings. Even though I'm the middle child, I have an older sister mm-hmm. and two younger siblings on my mom's side. Um, they're twins. And I'm the middle child. But throughout all of our, uh, you know, misadventures and, you know, growing up with the past that we did, my grades never reflected my circumstance. I was an honor roll every every school that I went to, no matter how many times I transitioned. You know, I, my grades never slipped. You would never guess that a person like me is going through what I'm going through because of my because of my you know my grades. They never reflected that. So, I I made it my goal to do well in school so that I can go wherever I want for college, and so my mother doesn't have to pay a dime. That obviously didn't work out, but she's not paying nearly as much as she would have, you know. Um, but I was going to say something. Oh, yeah. 
the average person transitions between three schools in their lifetime, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school. I went to, um, I went to 15 schools and I transitioned like 25 times or 29 times because sometimes we would be, we would, I, sometimes I would live in three different houses every year, you know, and one year I remember moving three times. So in one year, like for my ninth grade year, I went to three different schools. All right. Um, you know, like when you move so many times, uh, it feels like you don't really have a home, but then you also get a chance to see all these places, all these new people, but also saying goodbyes all the time and never really being stable. Like stable is not your life. Stable is not part of your life. You don't have a stable life. What does that do to you? What is, how does that make you feel when you don't have a stable life? Or what does it make you feel like? Personally, I never lived in a place long enough to plant roots. So saying goodbye was never something hard for me. It's just something that I knew I had to do, you know. Um, the only goodbye that I didn't like was having to leave my dad or a family member, my mom sometimes, depending on whenever I had to leave. But I had a couple close friends, but they all knew my circumstance. And I told them, I'll probably be back. I don't know, you know. Mm. But saying bye was never was never if anything I liked saying bye you know <laughs> I like saying bye because I don't know where I, don't, I didn't know where I would end up next but saying hello and always being called the new kid in school was what I hated I hated being called the new kid because I had to get used to like a whole new campus a whole new way of living in different areas of the world you know because just just in South Florida by itself every every county or every city they live differently you know, I lived in, I used to live in Plantation. In Plantation, Florida, it's really nice, you know, upper middle class area. I lived in a small apartment with my aunt. And every day, all the kids in our apartment complex would walk to school together, would walk home together, would play outside for hours. And it was just fun. I had our, We had our own little crew. Community. That's yeah, the power community. of community. A couple years after that, I lived in a city called Lauderhill, Florida. That's the hood. That, that was, we were in the ghetto. <laughs> and <clears throat> kids, kids are, if anything, you have to be careful if you're a young woman like me who looks the way that I do, who doesn't look their age. You have to be careful walking down the street by yourself. Tell me why. Tell me. I'd usually be able to like just take a walk. In Plantation, I could take a walk anywhere. Alone, right? You know, and, and just walk my dog or something. In Lauderhill, <laughs> I remember going to the park with my siblings and all of the kids were walking home from school and there was a man who was catcalling me from a car and they would they followed me home. And I ended up like running home after I got to a certain point because the crime rate is so much higher there. Also, my brother couldn't even go to the park by himself. He, he had the best-looking bike in, in the neighborhood, and I remember he came home one day crying, like gasping, because there was a, a big group of guys that were like teenagers. They beat him up, and they took his bike, and he had to walk home. Wow. And me and my sister, we ran to the park, and we were looking for these guys. We were looking for his bike, and we couldn't find it. You know, it, A little kid can't even walk to the park by himself because of the, the place that we were at. So you have to really be careful where you live. I also lived in Liberty City. It's in Miami. That place was, was worse. You know, there were pit bulls everywhere, you know, stray dogs that could attack you. Pit bulls are so misunderstood, but there are some pit bulls who really do live up to the, live up to the, the societal standard of being dangerous. You know, also people there, you know, they rob, steal. You can't keep your car unlocked overnight because it'll be gone the next morning. Seeing all of those drastic changes in your life and seeing all those different environments, like, it's, it's insane. Like, one community is so close that you walk together, you're so connected and intimate with each other. And then another community, a year later or, like, a month later, you're afraid to die. You're afraid to be killed or harassed. What? That. That's, why, that's why when I talk to people, I... Well, 
jokingly I say, do I have your consent to say hi to you tomorrow or something like that, you know, something ridiculous. It's loose jokes, but because my life was so unexpected, I don't know. I mean, I can, you know, take a look around the room and know where I am based on the archival information that I have from everywhere that I've lived. I know what type code switching. That's my best talent. You know, I've learned how to master the art of code switching because of my story. Mm. And if I just get a feel for the people in the room, I know which persona to put on. Do I put on Salma or Sal or Thug Sal or, or Smart Sal to Bro inform Sal. people about things <laughs> or, or Tudor Sal, you know? Mm. It, Code switching is yeah, definitely. The best. Um, well, I wouldn't argue that codes, uh, codes, how, switching is that called? Code switching. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't argue a it's not the real you because you always switch. But b, uh, you actually mastering that is benefiting you because you're always different with every person. And if you're not different with every person, then something is wrong with you. Because you have to be, okay, if you're right now a student uh, and you have a teacher in front of you, obviously you cannot swear, you have certain rules that you have to follow. But mm -hmm. then not every person can master that because it, it, it takes time to actually know yourself first and then to be able to become different personalities. But then, yeah, it does feel, doesn't it feel like, okay, who is the real style then? Where, who am I with that I'm actually... Like, yes, this is the real Sal. Like, does it come to your mind that, hey, where is that? When am I that? I am myself in every persona that I have when I code switch. Mm -hmm. When I'm on set, I'm a completely different person than I am, you know, not so caught up in the big machine of production. But the way my tone, my seriousness, I'm still funny. You know, I still joke around, but I still mean business. And that's who I am with every persona. If I'm in a business meeting, I'm going to still crack a joke, and I'm going to still mean business. Yeah. If, I'm in, if I'm in front of my mother, I'm going to crack a joke, and I'm going to mean business because she deserves respect. If I'm in front of my friends, I'm going to crack a joke, but I'm still serious because they deserve my respect, and I will never push my boundary of our friendship you know so I am myself with every person that I talk to you're just going to get a different intensity mm -hmm. when I code switch alright uh, I love that response <laughs> um, I want to go back to the map the system though um, mm -hmm. how you guys did that research and you actually traveled to Oxford like, yes, we physically did. right now it's impossible to think because it's COVID oh, but Back in the days, you could travel to London and present your projects in person. How was that? How was London? How was so, Oxford? <laughs> London was beautiful, but I will tell you that it is not fit for Florida attire. Mm. Okay. I brought my chanclas to Oxford and my feet were killing me. It's cobblestone floor. It's beautiful, but damn, I wasn't prepared, mm -hmm. you know, um, that purpose for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, we um, we actually had a mishap happen. James's visa didn't get accepted on time, so me and Isaac had to learn uh, his part that oh, we've no, we've James all didn't been go? we've all been we've all been you know practicing for months. Our, we've been researching for months and we practiced our presentation for a month and before we even went to Oxford. So imagine me so used to my my speaking part yeah. that I've been practicing for a month. I now have to switch it up in two days because wow. James won't be able to make the presentation on time. He still came to Oxford, but he arrived a couple hours after we presented. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it sucks. was... It was pretty shitty it was pretty shitty because we had so much potential to make it to the top you know we had we had it all we had a great story had great research but we were we were robbed a little bit you know just because they couldn't accommodate for us 
even a little bit, you know. Yeah, and, why didn't they like, hey, this is not something you can control. You can maybe push back a little bit or switch places. Oh, that's unfair. At the time, I understood that we all made an agreement to be here. And if we accommodate for one person, it'll look like cheating. Mm. You know? Yeah. Then they would have to make accommodations for other people. And that would mean that other people can be late. Yeah. And if you have a mistake, other people can try again. Yeah. So at the time, I understood their reasoning. Thinking back now, it's such an international competition. Why didn't they account for instances like this? Mm. Why couldn't they make up for instances like this? Because now, if you don't, you're only accommodating the competition for Westerners. Mm -hmm. You know, Canada, United States type of thing. For sure. Uh, Just like thinking, hey, you have people coming from overseas, you have, um, I mean, obviously a lot of things can go wrong. Just even a a smallest delay or just, you know, a cancellation or getting, I don't know, anything can happen and having a backup plan from the organization part or just from their part is, is like, like by default has to be. Uh, but okay. Anyways, back to the um, the issue, the, like the topic, the research. Can you um, just to briefly describe it and kind of um, yeah, the research? Yeah, sure. So our project was on street children in the Dominican Republic, and we researched for months, like trying to map out this system and what it works. J- James and um, Isaac and JV and Jadan. They all went to DR to do some research and also get footage for um, a documentary that we were going to possibly do. Actually, no. They went to Brazil to do the documentary part because we had a documentary in the works. Mm -hmm. Um, But they went to the Dominican Republic to um, get some footage and some research of the actual actual issue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when they returned... I had to, I helped them, you know, translate some of the stuff that they found in Spanish. Um, but there's this one instance that I remember. There was a really important, I think she was the mayor or a congresswoman that they went to go visit. And they went to go interview her about the, the issue of street children in her country. And she looked at them straight in the eyes and she goes, we have no street children here. There's nothing for you to report. What? And as no soon as they left the way. office, as soon as they left the office... They saw a little girl selling herself to a grown man. I'm speechless. Yeah. It was that bad. And I I looked at the footage. They interviewed so many people in, like, the cars that they drove in. And there was this one guy who was saying that the problem is so bad that they've they've created a language for themselves. They created a community within themselves. And their parents don't even know their name. They don't even know their names anymore. You know, they... They don't, they're not called by anything. No one claims them. They don't know when their birthdays are. And these kids are like five years old. And they don't know when their birthdays are. And they, they just came onto this earth not too long ago. You know? So it's, it, was, it was pretty ridiculous. And I, one of the reasons why I didn't go is because I knew that I, I wasn't mentally strong enough to go there and come back. For sure. Like, it's definitely... Uh like you can talk about it for sure and you can but then seeing it firsthand is very disturbing it's also triggering it also can trigger your flashbacks or like it it is if you take it serious enough and you like you can actually reflect on it that deep that you take it into yourself and it's just like it's it's burns inside right burns to see it in person so it's totally understandable if anything, I feel guilty coming back and complaining about my problems, yeah. you know. Going over there, I'd probably take a couple of kids to fit in my backpack on my way back, you know. Like, it, I knew that it would be pretty bad. But also, I I feel really guilty about not going. I really do. It's like a grudge that I have with myself because it's like, why couldn't you set your own feelings aside to go there mm-hmm. and be with those kids? You know, why Why do Americans put so much importance on mental health? Why couldn't I just go? Mm. It was I, for the team. I left, I left James and Isaac alone there. Mm. They don't even speak Spanish. I do. Why 
did I leave my team the time that I that they needed me the most because of my mental health? Sometimes I look at it like it's a ridiculous thing. You know, now I'm trying to, you know, let that let that go a little bit. But it still kind of haunts me a little bit. You know, I really wish that I would have went. I did want to ask you about, like, what is your biggest regret? Um, and you just literally answered, I guess. Is that your biggest regret? I wouldn't say that's my biggest regret. But I do regret not going. And it's one of the things that haunts me, you know. Um, damn, my biggest regret. We're getting deep. Yeah. We're getting deep. You want to go deep? <laughs> <laughs> Mm, my biggest regret I don't know if you're ready try me (laughs) so when I was living in um, Lauder Hill at the time my mother was living with I think he was a Haitian man or a Jamaican man and he was a big guy and I remember I came home from school one day and my mom and him were sitting at the table. And I'm like, what's going on? And we're having a discussion because my mother wanted to admit to us that her boyfriend just hit her. And that it wasn't the first time that he hit her. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy deserves to die today. You know, knowing who my mother is, why would she stoop so low to the point where she would let a man put their hands on her? You know, we could have killed him in, her, in, her, in his sleep. Could have been done. My biggest regret is not doing anything about it. Not reacting. Not being disappointed in him. Not giving him any less respect. I still respected him the same way. And I still put up with him the same way that I did. And the only reason I did that is because he's the one who is paying for everything. Fuck. He is the one who is paying for everything. So if I, I disrespect him in any way and I, give, and I give him a reason to want to leave my mother because I disrespected him, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. So I have to now... Respect the man that put his hands on my mother, do nothing about it, and continue going to school. Continue coming home and doing my chores and doing my laundry and taking care of my siblings and getting my homework done and acting like it didn't happen. Because if I react, we could be on the streets again. That, to this day, is my biggest regret. It's not doing anything about the fact that someone put their hands on my mother. It's like a trap. You realize the whole problem and you can literally, like, speak up for your mother because she needs someone to stand up for her. But then you realize, okay, the worst case scenario, we're going to be out. We're not going to have any financial help. Financial help is something that at least keeps us alive right now. And you want to survive day by day. It's about survival. And sac- that sacrifice, that sacrifice, and realizing it's your mother. I've I've been on survival mode since the day I was born, man. You know, I always have plans A through Z. I'm always prepared for any situation. That's why I talk a lot of shit because I know that I can, I know that I can back it up, and I know that wherever I go, if they have a problem with tattoos, but they care about. If they can put up with with all of this, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. it'll be worth it. You know, it, okay, I have tattoos, and it's it doesn't look it doesn't look good in you know in, a, in the professional world, and they wouldn't want to hire me because I have tattoos. If I open my mouth, they'll be able to put the tattoos aside. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's totally. It's one of those things. Yeah. Um. Basically. Um, what I what I like to hear is you want to work for an employer or work for a company that aligns with your mission or your v- vision or just simply your values. And then if they're not able to put aside the looks, the appearance or whatever, then 
why do I want to work for them? Why do I want to make an impact with them in a team if we're not able to, to, to look at the world in a similar way? Why would you want that, right? You don't want that. No. I mean, yeah, and tying back to my mother, like, that's all she wanted was someone to, to protect her. And I couldn't do that. And that was part of why it's a really big thing that I'm, you know, that I'm regretful for. But everything that I've that I've learned has shaped me into the person that I am today. And, you know, she has tattoos everywhere. She's a part of that life, you know, and I've been around I've been around crazy things my entire life. And I have tattoos. I'm loud. I'm confident. You're funny. I'm you're funny. Let's keep going. I'm funny. <laughs> but you're very I'm a really I'm an acquired taste. My personality really is an acquired taste. And I can fit into any business, anywhere you put me. But you have to put up with the fact that I do things my way. Sal way. So I just really love that you said Sal School. Like Sal School of Actress or Sal School of Producing. Sal <laughs> I want that to be a term, you know? I want it to be actually in on Wikipedia, whatever. South school. What does that mean? <laughs> oh God, Urban Dictionary. Yes. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Oh Urban wow. Dictionary better. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, what you said. Um, you really would want to protect your mom, but you are protecting her now. And what I would want to say, I want someone pr- to protect you. To be honest, because you cannot always protect everyone. You can't help everyone. And you can protect yourself as well, but you like as a child, you want your parents to protect you. You want your parents to, you you just want them basically. You want your parents. You'd think that you know, as a child, you'd think that kids want their parents to protect them, but as a kid, all I wanted to do was protect my mother. Mm-hmm. I everything that I did was for her. Everything I'm doing now is for her. You know, if any in any way that I can protect her, I'll do it. You know, when I when I was a kid, I grew up so fast that I thought of myself last, the way that my mother thinks of herself last. To this day, my mother has never gone, you know, in an actual shopping spree for clothes for herself. She has shirts that are 20 years old, you know, and she thinks of herself last in a home. She loves to cook. She loves to be at home and take care of everyone and mm-hmm. make she's a great hostess. You know, she likes taking care of people and and sometimes though she just needs to she needs someone to take care of her. And that goes along with what you said, you know, that sometimes I just need somebody to take care of me. That's one of the reasons why I left my past relationship was because I needed a man, not a boy. Mm-hmm. And you know who I am. I'm a whole man. I'm a whole man. <laughs> okay. I am a whole man. I'm a very I'm a very masculine girl. You know, like you're still a girl. Still a girl. (laughs) Embrace that. Embrace that fact. The what? Embrace that fact. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you know. What is that? I mean yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm 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 chill, you know, and I like to be the dominant one in any group. What about a relationship? In a relationship, no. You don't want to be the dominant. No. Okay. Because I spend all day Dominant. teaching people yeah. and telling people what to do. You think I want to come home and do the same thing? No. No. <laughs> what do you want me to do, my love? I'll do anything for you. <laughs> Type of energy. You know, that's one yeah. of the reasons why I left my past relationship because I was his first girlfriend ever. So he didn't mm-hmm. really know what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And I've been around the block. I've been to many different schools, met many different people, and I've been in a couple mediocre relationships. But at the point in my life when I was with him, I was ready to move it to the next level, to the next step, and he wasn't. He was still growing as a person, you know, and I I wasn't willing to wait for him to catch up. I'm ready to, you know, think about getting married and think about moving into a place and growing a life together. I want to be with someone who has his own life away from mine, who has a different profession than I do, who works for his own money so that when we come together, we both, when we put our incomes together, we have more money than we do by ourselves. When we, when we get married, our lives will get better with each other. You know, 
I don't want to be the sole provider for you. I don't want you to be the sole provider for me. Nor do I want to be with a submissive person because they'll just remind me of everyone I'm surrounded by every day. Ooh, what? No, no. Everyone by every day? No, not everyone is submissive. I'm a very dominant person, Nadia. Girl, you cannot submit everyone. That's a big statement. That's a big statement. But <laughs> what I'm okay, saying is... Let it be. What I'm saying is that I prefer to not be the strongest personality in a relationship. I want someone to take charge. I'm very old school. I want the man to take charge. The man doesn't necessarily have to pay for everything. Mm-hmm. But if he wants to... Go ahead. I'm not going to stop you. I'm not going to be like, let me be, let me use my woman power on you and don't pay for everything. No, if you want to, go ahead. You know, and if I want to, I'll do it. But it's, it's one of those things. But I don't want to be the dominant person in my relationship because that's who I am whenever I leave those doors. You know, whenever I leave my house, I am the dominant person in every situation that I'm in. Whether I'm on set or in class, I talk the most. And the things that I have to say are not stupid. Um, last thing I wanted to ask, to be honest, is what is your, like, dream film? What would you want to really, really film as a director? Do you have that? A movie about my life. I just want, I literally wanted to ask, like, to be honest, um, I think the biggest part, like, would, I would want to see something about your mother in that film. The way you speak about her, the 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 level of struggle she went through is is so profound and leaves me speechless. So imagine imagine taking it to a whole new next level and filming it for sure. Yeah, to to this day I I stare at my iPad like, should I really start writing a script for this? You know, I don't know how long this movie would be I have so much that I want to put in it but I think that I'm not completely I'm not completely ready to be vulnerable with the world yet Mm -hmm. and I think that's why I haven't like taken taken the necessary steps to do that but yeah one day one day yeah I guess maybe (laughs) for sure (laughs) I mean yeah if you I do think you have the courage. I do think you... It's like a, what we have a thing in Watson, protect your courage, right? And uh, we were talking about protecting each other and protecting. And that kind of courage, being vulnerable with the world, but also let it... Let yourself direct it as well. It's just very, I think, intimidating, but also powerful. At the same. It's like empowering and intimidating at the same time for some reason, I think. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, I left her not talking anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I got lost in thought. I got lost in that. <laughs> wow. Okay. I want to end on this powerful note. And I want to thank you for being my first female and my first dominating woman on this podcast. Whoop, whoop. Yay, yay. Yay, yay. Okay. That was so wonderful. Whoop, whoop. My name is Sal. <laughs> My handles are Sal Punto Com, S A L P U N T O C O M. That is my Instagram. Can I can I drop um, a link to any of your films that you would want to share? On my yeah, podcast? sure, definitely. Okay, I'll definitely find me on YouTube. Okay. I'll definitely share it with you. Okay. Um, I don't know if I ever answered this question. But the films that I want to make are either documentaries or films about true stories. Because those are the ones that inspire me to do what I do. I want to see them. I want to see more. More to come. Thank you so much for joining. No problem. Thank you for, jo- thank you for having me. 